Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah, Jeremiah O'Shan, and joining me today is someone who I have talked to many, many times, but I've never actually been able to interview formally for something like this is Trey Fitzgerald, uh, who I guess we'll call an RSL insider. What would be the right way to, <laughs> to, to call you? Yeah. I mean, longtime RSL historian, employee, fan, whatever. I've been around this club effectively since, since day one. Well, uh, Trey, the reason obviously I'm, I'm having you on is the news uh, became official today that Freddie Juarez is going to become the assistant an assistant coach uh, for the Sounders. It's an interesting move because you don't, I don't know that we've ever seen this where a, a coach leaves a, uh, a head coaching position with another team to become an assistant coach with uh, you know, with, with another team. Um, I don't know. Do you know much about how this, this whole thing came about? Um, I mean, I'm learning. <laughs> it was obviously surprising on Friday when the news came down that, that RSL uh, and Freddie Juarez had um, effectively agreed to part ways that Freddie was departing for another opportunity. And as we later found out, thanks to Sam Stasekel in the athletic, uh, he's the one that broke the news that Freddie was going to Seattle to replace Gonzalo, Um, you know, reading various reports, reading the tea leaves, talking to different people. It sounds like, all this has happened relatively quickly in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Seattle asked for and received permission to talk to um, Freddie. Um, I think as, as people uh, talk to Garth and Freddie and Brian, um, you know, there are prior relationships. This is a small world. The world of soccer is small. The world of MLS is even smaller and um, obviously there's, there's a lot of uh, common ties between uh, the Seattle and Salt Lake organizations. So um, I, I guess my sense is that Freddie coached one game for Salt Lake, knowing that um, the possibility existed for him to maybe be moving to Seattle. And that was a 2-1 road loss at Colorado a game that Salt Lake led one nothing, played very well through 60 minutes. And unfortunately, this has kind of been the story of RSL season. The number of points dropped from winning positions in the final 15, final 30 minutes of a game. Um, that's the reason they're uh, only above the playoff line by a couple points as opposed to being up there in the top three or four of the West. 
And I do think that that's, that's an important note that you make, that he only coached one game really knowing that this was a possibility. Because I think there is a perception out there, and maybe I'm, I'm guilty of fueling that a little bit. But uh, I, it, it's not like he was a lame duck coach for a bunch of, for a bunch of games, and he was right. just sort of like sitting around with one foot out the door. I don't, from the impression that I've gotten is that, you know, if, if the Sounders got uh, future considerations, I don't think it was expressly because they knew they were going to use them on Freddie Juarez. I think it was like, we might need, we like, I think in their mind, they knew that they might be uh, trying to do something like this. And I think they were giving themselves options. Um, But at the time when I found out about the future considerations, they certainly did not say we're going to use this on getting uh, someone's, you know, Gonzalo's replacement. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I would say certainly the move for a head coach mid season, a playoff bound head coach, effectively not playoff bound, but let's say above the playoff line at this juncture, if the playoffs started tomorrow, RSL would be in for that head coach of that team to leave mid-season for a conference rival uh, as an assistant, it's certainly odd. Um, Now, I would probably make the argument, and I haven't dug in, but I'd say Gonzalo leaving uh, mid-season to go from Seattle to Atlanta, it's not unheard of, but the timing timing is odd, right? Yeah. Yeah. um, And look, I think it's perfectly normal that when – and we talk a, a second ago about how small this MLS world is. It wasn't long ago that teams or the league effectively tampering with each other's employees was the wild, wild West. It's only in the last, I think five years where there are protocols and procedures that govern this and generally accepted, uh, I guess I would say the foundation of these protocols is that like for a guy like Gonzalo, who's an assistant coach, if he has a head coaching opportunity, that permission is always granted. And that's the same. If you're a marketing coordinator and another team has a uh, manager, director, or VP of whatever role that generally teams don't block those types of, And it's not a move, it's an interview opportunity, right? Now, and that's what's so kind of unique about the Freddie thing is he's a head coach taking a lateral or perceptively a step back into an assistant coach role. But as I think most of your listeners are probably aware, these are unique times in Salt Lake. Salt Lake has entered the 2021 season as one of three organizations in Major League Soccer that were up for sale and and seeking new ownership. Uh, Orlando and Houston were the other two. Orlando, I think, was the first to sell to the the Will family that owns the Vikings of the NFL. In Minnesota, they had to divest themselves of their Nashville minority ownership interests in order to complete that transaction. That happened in, let's say, May, um, April or May. Then in June, um, Houston was sold to a New York, um, I believe, real estate uh, magnate or whatever word you want to use. And so that sale just happened. And RSL has effectively been on the market now 
for about a year, uh, dating back to um, sort of, I would say, I would use the word debacle, late August of 2020, um, in, when the world of sports effectively shut down after the Jacob Blake shooting, the NBA bubble playoffs were halted because the Milwaukee Bucks walked off the court, and we saw every game but one in MLS that night not get played. Um, because of the Black Players for Change, the Players Union, and I think most organizations were supportive of that symbolism uh, to bring attention to uh, social injustice, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the morning after that, the RSL owner at the time, a gentleman by the name of Deloy Hansen, who has done a lot of very good things uh, for this club and in this club as the sole owner since January 2013. Um, he went on a radio interview um, and effectively, uh, I don't know how to say this. He, he basically didn't read the room correctly and, uh, and, and, and said some things that launched several days worth of current and former RSL employees um, airing dirty laundry about racism, sexism, uh, toxic work environment, all those things. But I may be getting a, a little off tangent here, but that sets the scene. So Freddie yeah. Juarez has been um, the head coach of this club since August of 2019. So a year prior to everything I just discussed, uh, Freddie was made the interim head coach uh, when Mike Pecky was fired after his uh, post-game incident with a referee. Um, <laughs> and, and that whole sequence of events led to Craig Weibel being fired. Craig has obviously found a home there uh, in Seattle under Garth Lagerway, who was the general manager of Real Salt Lake during the golden era, as we now refer to it. Uh, from 2007 to 2014 before he went to Seattle. So there's a lot of ties between the organization. But in, anyway, Freddie Juarez has been a head, a head coach of this organization. Um, the bulk of his head coaching time has been extremely volatile for all these other things that were happening on and off the field, in and out of the technical area. And you fold COVID on top of that. So um, I think if you're Freddie Juarez, you're looking at, Hey, my contract's up at the end of this year. I don't know if the club is going to pick up my option. I think it's reasonable for Freddie to assume that he would have no indication of the tendency on whether that option was picked up until, A, the team made the playoffs, and B, a new owner bought the team because you just don't know when there's an ownership change what direction a club is going to go philosophically. So I think for Freddie to have an opportunity to go to Seattle, to work with Brian Schmetzer, Garth Lagerway, Craig Weibel, and the many, many other quality people that have been part of the Sounders organization for a long time, people that have earned the respect of uh, soccer fans and those inside the industry worldwide um, and for Freddie to know where his paycheck was going to come from for the next however many years, two, two and a half, three, whatever, I don't know his contract, but 
I think that was uh, viewed as a opportunity that he needed to, to seize. And certainly for RSL, from their standpoint, um, you know, they're coming off, as I referenced earlier, some disappointing results. I think Freddie is extraordinarily well liked in the organization, but he has come under fire recently for those dropped points from winning positions, especially at home in the final 15, 30 minutes of games. And as you and, and most of your probably very sophisticated listeners know, Extremely. Jeremiah, um, goals happen in the last 15 minutes of games. That is they just do. when yeah. 70%. Now, RSL did lead the league in goals conceded after the 75th minute. So that is a dubious honor. But when substitutions are made and changes are made and tactics are changed and people are pushing to kill a game or pushing to blow a game open or pushing to get back in a game, that's when things happen. And RSL, for whatever reason, had kind of been on the the wrong end of, of those um, tendencies this year. So because of that, I think his, his long-term status was in question, not only in his mind, perhaps in the front office's mind, certainly in the fans' minds uh, here in Salt Lake, because, and we can debate the veracity of substitution pattern um, uh, contingencies on Twitter and, and all that kind of stuff. Everyone's favorite hobby horse. Yeah. I mean, look, and I don't know how it is up there. I know Bruce arena gets angry if, if fans start talking tactics, cause he's like, we're literally in this formation for two seconds a game, uh, first half kickoff right. and second half kickoff. The rest of it is, is, uh, regional and, uh, it's, it's attacking and defending, uh, our good friend, Craig Weibel now up in Seattle, he used to refer to these discussions as tactical semantics and um, and, you know, other others have, and certainly the analytics crowd wants to get into, Hey, here's what you look like when you're attacking and here's what you look like when you're defending. And, and it gets much more uh, granular and there's probably nobody better uh, than Ravi up there in Seattle to, to, to seize uh, that side of the conversation. So um, these are all the factors that kind of went into uh, what was happening here in Salt Lake that kind of led to um, Freddie's decision over the last, uh, you know, uh, three, four days to make him ultimately agree to a contract with the Sounders. So one of the things I've wondered about is I, I've heard that Freddie is sort of a, for lack of a better term, like a gym rat, like he just loves coaching. He, you know, one yep. of the stories that someone told me was that even when he was the head coach of RSL, he would go and coach sessions for the Academy and that he's just a guy who loves that part of it. But it sounds like maybe he didn't love some of the more um, public facing parts of the job. Like, uh, you know, and, and I think you, you, you point out fairly that, I think a lot of coaches started to get a little frustrated with the interaction with the press when it was all on video. I know Brian Schmetzer, who is probably one of the most open coaches in yeah. the league, he was getting kind of like fed up with the the nature of, of, you know, Zoom interviews and whatnot. So I don't necessarily put that all on Freddie, but I do wonder if this is an, a, if there is maybe an aspect of this where it's like you always, you grow up through the coaching ranks, always wanting to be the head coach. And then you get there and maybe you don't like like being head coach as much as you maybe like being an assistant. 
I mean, is that, do you think there might be yeah, part of that? Well, I, I certainly think that these are, these are trying times and, and, and the whole time Freddie has been the head coach of this club, it's been volatile, right? So you have Pecky out, Weibel out, Freddie interim, Freddie permanent, uh, just a lot of change, you know, and mm-hmm. he did change over um, effectively his whole assistant coaching staff going into the 2021 season. So uh, people that he had kind of come up uh, through RSL with uh, like uh, Tyrone Marshall, like Todd Hofford, uh, who had been on the staff with him under um, Kassar and then Pecky, um, you know, those guys are all gone. So Freddie got the chance to hire his own staff here. He hired Pablo Mastroeni. Um, he hired Matt Taylor, a former player. Some people may remember from Chivas before he went over to, to Germany and played in both the or sorry, the third, the second, and the first division over there before going and coaching at UCLA. And then he brought a goalkeeper coach in, um, um, Ignacio, who he had coached in the RSL Academy with, uh, with Martin Vasquez and Greg Vanny back a decade ago. So uh, Freddie built his own staff. I think he felt like the vibes in that locker room were very good this year, significantly improved. But to your point, as a head coach, you're asked to uh, be the face of an organization and you have many, many, many responsibilities outside of the 30 people in your locker room and your, your coaching staff, your sports science, your video and your medical staff. So when you have to try to be one of those primary touch points with fans, with media, with sponsors and all the other club obligations, I think, um, that was hard on Freddie anyway. And it's especially hard as you referenced in a zoom COVID environment. And um, as you've said, like all of us, no matter how skilled we are um, uh, as speakers or communicators and how open uh, uh, certainly coach, want to be. And I think Freddie was significantly more comfortable and open uh, here in 2021 than he had been in the past. I think there was still a sense that fans didn't understand the identity, the philosophy of what he was trying to get. And, you know, again, Twitter is not real life as much as I think it is taken as such in um, media circles. Certainly it's invaluable, I think, to those of us who, who live in the media space. Um, we couldn't do without Twitter the way the world is right now, but it doesn't always represent 80% of your season ticket holders either. Right. Oftentimes it represents eight of your season ticket holders, you know? Right. So, um, <laughs> but that's a different, and like, and again, I, I, I don't, I'm sorry for going off on tangents, but when, when your primary news outlets, your mainstream news outlets Um, they've all, all those newsrooms have been affected by COVID and the economy as well. So when, when the people that cover your team are not able to go watch practice every day, they're not able to get in a room with coaches and players and have those off to the side conversations outside of the scrum or the zoom availability post game. Um, it, it makes that, that connection that a club has a brand has with its community, extraordinarily difficult. So none of that is making excuses for Freddie. I think Freddie will be the first one to say, Hey, 
I had never done some of this before. I'm learning on the job. And oh, by the way, for the last 18 months, I can only do it through Zoom. And right. and that's a, I don't know that I'd wish that on my worst enemy as somebody who's grown to despise um, the impersonal nature of these conversations that, that we have. I love podcasting. I love getting on Zooms and and interacting with other media members or fans or whoever. But I mean, I do miss, I mean, the amount of soccer that I learned going to a practice and listening to a Garth Lagerway or a Brian Dunseth or a Craig Weibel or um, a Siggy Schmid or whoever, um, I miss that. And I think fans and media are um, worse off for wear, whatever yeah. the saying is because we don't get to have those interactions and hopefully uh, by 2022 season, we will, and we'll be, we'll be back to normal. I think, I think you can see it. The players miss that, right? If, if all they know about a particular media member is what he or she is popping off on Twitter about, or, you know, they're a faceless nameless or sorry, not nameless, but a faceless square on a zoom panel, Mm -hmm. they're not going to open up and tell you about their life story and how, much a win or loss or moment meant to them on or off the field. And, and so like, that is a lot of color behind what I think might have played into Freddie's decision, but going back, he doesn't know, he doesn't, didn't know where his um, contract paycheck, whatever status was going to be six months from now. And Seattle is, is a pretty good landing spot, even if maybe you're, your ego, and I'm going to use that word liberally because I think Freddie is a relatively egoless guy, and we'll get into that in a second. But even if your ego has to withstand maybe a small bruise of going from head coach to assistant coach, you referenced Freddie being a gym rat. Absolutely. He, he really loves being on the field. And I think it was Mike Pecky who is the one that is most responsible for the term tactical genius being applied to Freddie Juarez's uh, name. And he constantly referenced Freddie's acumen uh, when he was the head coach. And, and you remember Pecky was the king of the press conference, man. Right. And, and yes. he would probably, he would probably have been the king of the zoom era if he was uh, coaching somewhere right now, or was even a media guy right now. I don't honestly know where, where Mike is, but um, he always gave a ton of credit to Freddie Tyrone Marshall, his other assistants, but especially Freddie. Uh, and Freddie had gone through, uh, I don't know if you remember this, um, five, six years ago, uh, MLS teams were allowed to select one coach from their organization to go participate in a French football federation course and certification um, over the, it was probably 2014 and 15 or 13 yeah, and 14. Uh, but Freddie was the m- man chosen in the RSL um, stable or whatever you want to say. So, um, but he was an academy coach in, in Casa Grande, Arizona with Greg Vanny and Martin Vasquez and, and Mike Munoz uh, when that academy got up and running. And then he became the inaugural head coach of uh, the Real Monarchs in 2015, which was, you know, uh, our USL entry, uh, same year, I think that S2 came on board and, um, you know, he learned a lot of things along the way, but I think what Freddie loves is, uh, designing sessions and breaking down video and, 
and coming up with set pieces and analyzing opponents' tendencies and and trying to figure out how your team's, uh, your locker room skill set can break down uh, what the other team wants to do. And look, MLS, even though it's almost tripled in size uh, since uh, 15 years ago, I think most people that are close to this league can generally figure out the nine or 10 out of 11, eight or nine, let's say, starters out of a proposed 11 a week. Those of us who pay close attention to the league. So you kind of know who's going to be out there. You know what teams want to do. You know what most teams' identities are. And obviously, as as foreign coaches and GMs have come in and, and exerted their influence, that has changed over the years. But I think that's the stuff Freddie loves. And, and for him to go to Seattle and learn more from Brian and Apparently he and Brian have had, um, I would call it, Brian's been a mentor to Freddie uh, for a lot longer than any of us were aware of, um, uh, as I'm kind of finding out now. Well, I'm, I'm actually wondering, I think Brian was one of the, was the Sounders coach who went to that French uh, football okay. federation thing. And so now I'm wondering if that's where they maybe uh, started their friendship because- yeah. Uh, it seems like Brian has taken has put a lot of value in in, in, taking, in taking courses, courses with with uh, with the other coaches, coaches. and that he that you know he, that's you know, he's become friends with with various coaches around the league is through uh, you know getting his a license and doing things like that. And so I wouldn't be at all surprised if that was sort of the the touch point that started the relationship between Brian and Freddie. And and all the indications I have uh, from looking around is that this was Brian's hire. Like, does it help that Craig and, and uh, Garth know Freddie? I'm sure it can't hurt. Like I'm sure he asked for references from them, but I think this is a hire that, that Brian wanted to make. And I think there's actually some sensitivity in the organization about the idea that, you know, the Sounders are sort of just getting the band back or the, yeah, that Garth is sort of getting the band back together. And I don't think that's what's happening here. Uh, I think, I think Brian just found a coach that he, he really wanted to bring on and, and I'm sure he was, stoked to be able to get someone uh with his resume that said how how would you describe freddie's uh tactical philosophy like what do you what do you think he's going to bring to the sounders yeah and, and honestly the, i haven't been super close i left real salt lake i left kind of the inner circle if you will um about three years ago it was september of 18 so i haven't been super close uh recently but i think freddie um, as a guy who grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, uh, played in the early, you know, earlier iterations of the USL, again, uh, became an academy coach when he was uh, 30 years old under Martin Vasquez in Arizona, uh, became a head USL coach 2015. He's 41 now. I think um, Freddie is extremely versatile, right? And you know, we've seen RSL kind of transform uh, from an old 442 diamond in its golden era from, let's say, 2008, 2009 through, through, through 2014. 442 diamond, possession-oriented. And certainly, we've seen some of Freddie's team have talent at various levels where uh, possession was a main emphasis. Possession was... Uh, viewed as a great uh, defensive tactic, right? And and that's certainly, in my mind, that that was Jason Kreis's philosophy when he was here, and, and that's where that comes from. But 
um, as MLS has become more sophisticated, as MLS has become more athletic, as uh, international talent has uh, poured stateside, uh, we've seen um, more direct play. We've seen four three threes, and and that would I w- that is sort of what I would say has marked RSL under Freddie is uh, much more of an emphasis on on wing play and covering 70 or 80 yards down the field in three passes. And, um, you know, there, there really hasn't been a classic nine here until this year. I think that's what this team was missing uh, since the days of Alvaro Sabarillo. They never really found um, a target forward. Um, and now they think they have two, right? Bobby Wood and Rubio Rubin um, are suited to kind of being that classic back to the goal striker guys that are good uh, aerially that can get their heads on the end of, of crosses. But um, certainly Demir Krylock for much of the last uh, couple <laughs> years under Freddie, he's been the best six, eight, nine and 10 that yeah. RSL had to offer. And it was a matter of, okay, where is he going to line up? And um, you know, Freddie oversaw, uh, you know, kind of a regime change, right? So Kyle Beckerman, Nick Romando retired. Uh, at the beginning of Freddie's tenure. And, um, you know, those are big locker room losses. But, um, you know, Demir Krylock, who we just talked about, Albert Rusnak has emerged, a guy that plays wing for his Slovakian national team, had always been kind of that number 10 here. Um, And then this year we've seen him play both kind of, I don't know, you want to call it a false nine, you can call it a 10, you can call uh, he's played out on the wing as well. He's versatile and he's talented and he's dangerous. Got off to a little bit of a slow start this year. Um, but I, I think Freddie is extraordinarily flexible, versatile, and and can design a style that suits uh, the talents of a certain roster. And, and where I think Freddie, probably the thing that made it most bittersweet for him to, to walk away from RSL and go to Seattle was he has guys like, Aaron Herrera, Justin Glad, and now David Ochoa, guys that came up um, through the academy to the Monarchs and came to RSL. Um, you know, he's known Aaron Herrera since Aaron was a was a tiny child because Aaron's dad um, was a teammate of Freddie's um, when Freddie was a player uh, growing up in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So. Um, you know, but Freddie is, I think, symbolic, as is the RSL GM, Elliot Paul, as have been many, many of the players that you've seen wear the Claret and Cobalt over the last five years. Um, these are people that work their way up through the organization. And that's the paradigm. That's the philosophy here. Like RSL will, at least, you know, depending on who the new owner is going to be, doubtful RSL will be a team that tries to subscribe to the Atlanta, Toronto, LA, LA, New York, New York, and maybe Seattle model where you're going to outspend everybody else, right. For, for dynamic international talent that maybe you can buy high and sell higher. Um, RSL is, is a grow your own uh, club and, and they're proud of the Academy. They're proud of the infrastructure and the facilities. And, and I think Freddie is symbolic of all that. So um, I, 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 as look, I don't pretend to know much about tactics. Um, I like studying them. I like hearing people 
that are a lot smarter than me explain what they're trying to do or what they're seeing or what they're not seeing. Um, but I, I would imagine that being a fly on the wall with Brian and Freddie and Precky and Dutro uh, and Garth and Craig, um, and I'm sure there's there's guys I'm forgetting, but um, I think that would be that would be pretty cool sounder at heart uh, video uh, blog sure would or be. podcast, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. No. I. Everything I've heard about Freddie, I'm I'm pretty stoked about. I think people can sometimes get get uh, caught up in the idea of just looking at his coaching record and say like, oh, well, I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, but I think you got to look probably beyond that, and you got to look at the resources that he had, and you got to look at yep. what what other people that he worked with are saying. And everyone seems to love this guy. Uh, they seem to think like cultural. He seems to be a massive cultural fit. I know that they were yep. prioritizing finding someone that. Uh, that is bilingual and it sounds like he's, he uh, fits that bill as well. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm for one really excited to see what he can do here. Um, And, uh, and getting to know him. I mean, I haven't had a chance to to talk to him yet. Yeah. You'll love him. He'll be good with you guys. Um, I I think he'll be a great cultural fit. He's just a guy that loves the game, loves the sport. I think he'll be excited about the environment, the resources, uh, the history long history, obviously, of, of, of soccer uh, in Seattle. Um, I may have read somewhere that you guys invented the sport in this country. Did, so, yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. Um, anyway, gift I, to the world. but like, you know, Freddie, you bring up his coaching record and certainly there's detractors that, you know, he's a 500 coach at the Monarchs. He's a 500 coach or sub 500 coach at, uh, at RSL. But, you know, look, this team went two, eight and four last year after uh you know the owner made the radio comments right and that was that created a very explosive volatile uh incendiary atmosphere and i don't know i don't think it's fair to you know throw that in the orlando bubble covid like all of 2020 gets thrown out for me 2019 he took over a team in mid-august and guided them to a third place finish in the west and a playoff result that um, saw RSL beat the heavily favored supporter shield winners in LAFC. And it was the second straight year that RSL had knocked LAFC out of the playoffs. The previous year, you may remember the Crylock kind of karate kick that uh, shocked the world and, and knocked LAFC out when they were the darlings of everything in their inaugural season. So, um, you know, Freddie should get credit for some of those successes as well, as opposed to just, uh, you know, being um, derided or whatever. And, and look, his USL record um, is 500, but I, and I don't know how it has been in, in some of the other MLS organizations that had USL teams, but he was asked to not only win games, but he was asked to develop players. And yeah, I, I think no less a authority on the sport than Garth Lagerway would tell you, pick one like you can't you know there's a lot of lessons to be learned by playing above your level of competition and losing three nothing periodically as opposed to having the best players in an age group and and winning every game five six seven nothing and and we've seen that at the academy level and i think that sort of happened you know some of those usl mls run usl teams are playing a hodgepodge of young guys, young pros, 
Um, and maybe they're playing a lot of MLS guys that were sent down to get games that were pissed off that they were there. And that's, that's hard for a manager. And that stuff is not exactly reflected in a box score or on a, on a, on a standings table, but um, he's been well-liked and well-regarded. And I have no doubt that um, this pairing of Seattle and Freddie Juarez will be successful for him personally. It will be successful for, the rave green and you know it's an opportunity for rsl as well to find out who they're uh who's going to guide them to the playoffs here in the short term and the run out of the 2021 season and who is going to be uh their long-term coach and uh, you know all appearances are right now that that the gm elliot fall and and rob zarcos and and john kimball the interim president have full authority to hire a long-term solution um, in the coaching box or whatever you want to call it, uh, despite the uh, impending o- ownership change. And I think, you know, they're going to look for somebody that, that fits the culture. And there's, there's been a lot of names out there, but I think they're going to look for a coach that um, subscribes to the academy model. And, you know, there's names out there that have history with this club. Uh, there's names out there that have a lot of history with, the growth of American soccer and major league soccer. So um, it, it seems like there is going to be no shortage of candidates. And it's a, it's a different search for RSL than it has been because Jeff Kassar was um, Jason Kreiss's assistant. And he was one of two candidates. Robin Fraser was actually the other. When, when Jason uh, was, taking the LA or sorry, the NYC FC job back in, in 2014. Um, Mike Pecky was the Monarchs head coach and he was uh, succeeded Jeff Kassar when he was fired three games into the 2017 season. And then Freddie was on Mike Pecky's staff. And then, you know, we talked about his circumstances. So, Every step of the way, a coach has kind of come from within. And that doesn't mean that Pablo Mastroeni doesn't have the opportunity to be the next in that line. But I think it's going to be a longer, uh, deeper, broader process uh, from a hiring standpoint than it, than it has been historically in this club. Well, uh, that's a good place to, to call this, I think. Uh, Trey, you've been uh, super insightful. I really appreciate you coming on. The and, and... 18th tangent makes you want to hang up on me, huh? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can people follow? You're a great follow on Twitter, so why don't you tell people where you, they can follow you? Yeah, I believe my Twitter handle is at the number three Fitz, F-I-T-Z, S-L-C. So at three Fitz, S-L-C. Um, I appreciate you thinking I'm a great follow. You know, there's I days do. where I want to, there's days where I want to throw out a match and watch the world burn, but you know, there's, there's a, there's a decent amount of Denver Broncos and Denver Nuggets <laughs> and San Francisco Giants tweets. But you know, I, I have strong opinions about uh, this league, this sport um, and certainly the business side, the television no. media side of, of our sport. I'm glad I don't have to tweet about politics anymore. That became exhausting. Um, up until a year ago. Um, so I'll apologize, uh, for those that might've been offended, but no, anyway, I'm just, you know, I think Twitter is an irreverent place. Um, 
that being said, it is a place where you can meet people and learn things. And it doesn't always have to be a toxic cesspool, even when I'm trying to have fun um, throwing shade or, or, or <laughs> subtweeting and trolling others, depending, <laughs> depending on my mood and, and really depending on, uh, on, on what my dog has me doing at a particular time of day. Well, fair enough, uh, Trey. Uh, again, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we will. I'm sure we'll be in touch. And, yeah, uh, and hopefully, hopefully a uh, playoff series is in the offing between uh, uh, Freddie Juarez's new club and his old club hey, uh, later this year. Wouldn't be against that. But um, anyway, I'm I'm Jeremiah Shan. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and uh, we will catch you next time. Thank you. All right.